Good evening, everyone. We actually are having a Bible study on Wednesday night. It's been a, a month, I know, praise the Lord. Joshua chapter 9 is where we are at this evening. So if you want to turn to Joshua chapter 9, we will uh, dig in. I think it's been a month between the uh, Valentine's couples dinner, between the, the canceling because of snow and ice, and uh, prayer, praise, and communion night. Um, it's crazy. <clears throat> Before we get into the word this evening, um, I don't know if you heard Jeff Williams. Uh, he comes first service. He sits over here on the left side with Elaine and their son, Jeff the Third. Um, he had a stroke last night. And, um, you know, they, they got him to the hospital really quick. They got the drug that they give, you know, stroke patients right away. Um, but the left side of his, no, the right side of his body is, is still, can't move his hands, there's numbness in his face, and doctors are saying that there's, once the swelling goes down, then that should, the brain, that that should recuperate, but they're just a dear family and, and just great people, and so um, we just want to lift up Jeff tonight uh, in prayer because of the stroke. At the same time, so I visited Jeff this afternoon, then I walked across the hall and two floors down and visited Steve Schetzel. Um, Steve has been in the hospital for a week now, and uh, he went in for heart problems, or he thought was having heart problems, and took him to the cardiac ward, and, and they immediately took him from there to the neuro, neurology floor because he was having seizures, and uh, a lot of different, I mean, a lot of seizures. And, and so they got him on the neurology floor, and they're trying to get him off the IV and onto pill medication, um, but Steve is very stubborn. I talked to him today and, and it's like, Steve, let the doctors do their job. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he had to set way of his pills and everything at a certain time and he's afraid that they're going to mess up and, and he just needs to let the doctors do their job and he needs to get off the IV and onto the pills. And, and so we just need to pray for both of them tonight before we get into God's word that God would move and heal and, and get them back with us safely. So let's pray for them. Father, we lift up uh, Jeff uh, Williams to you, Lord, and just thank you, Lord, for his love for you and, and a part of this fellowship, and I know it's a scary thing for him, uh, seeing himself there and, and uh, not being able to move the right side of his body, and we just pray for a quick healing for him, Lord God. Thank you that they were able to get him to the hospital quickly, they were able to get him the proper medication that deals with strokes very quickly, and Lord, thank you that the prognosis is good, that he should be able to regain use. But Lord, during this time, we pray for just a healing. We pray for peace for him and Elaine and uh, their son, uh, Jeff III, as well. And, and just pray that you would uh, just comfort this family during this time. Provide for them if they need anything, Lord. Uh, use us in any way that we can help them, we pray. And just pray your blessing upon them. When you pray for Steve Schetzel as well, and it's been a week for him in the hospital, and Lord, we pray that you would heal him of these seizures. They're not happening as frequently, Lord, and the doctors want to get him off the IV and onto the pill form so that it will, uh, the medicine will take longer to go through his system. And, and so we just pray that Steve would have a, a soft, submissive heart to, to the doctors, Lord, and letting them do their job and, and uh, treating him. Lord, we pray that you would give Tricia just an extra portion of strength and and grace to get through this difficult time with her. We pray for her health as well as she's been struggling with a, a, a 
you know, just the breathing problems that she has, Lord God, and the pneumonia that she had and all of that, Lord. And so we lift up their family to you and ask that you bring comfort to them and a healing for them. And, and now, Lord, we ask that you bless our time as we look to your word, as we see the life of Joshua and, and the, uh, the children of Israel entering the promised land and following you and, and the different lessons that they learned there, Lord. We know that we can apply these same lessons, these same truths to our lives. And so we pray, Lord, as we look to your word this evening, you just bless our time together. Give us uh, information and application, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 9. The book of Joshua really is a book about taking the promised land. The promised land of, of learning to receive all that God has for us in, in our personalized victory over sin. Experiencing God's peace and love and joy and power. Experiencing God's rest. Now, the principles that governed the nation of Israel, taking the promised land, same principles that we face today that help us live in God's promises. Now, that's mean, that this means at times war against the kingdom of darkness. The story we're about to read this evening serves as an illustration to us on just how sneaky the enemy can be uh, to further his deadly plans in our lives. And we must be alert against the attacks of the Satan because oftentimes Satan disguises himself. We know the Bible says he disguises himself as an angel of light in order to fulfill his deadly plans. See, if, if Satan can't overthrow our lives in one way, he'll seek another way to slither in there and try and mess us up. That's why we're told in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we know this verse, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We're told in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And finally, Ephesians 6.10-12 tells us, uh, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Get a drink. You see, our battles are not only here on this earth. There's a spiritual battle taking place in the heavenly realm. But when God's hands are attached to faithful believers, there's victory. Now, the enemy attacks in the same way. He has his, his strings attached to people who work for him in the demonic realm, and, and they too come against the body of Christ. Uh, and we have this spiritual warfare taking place. We know that. That's what we battle against. And what is our greatest weapon when it comes to spiritual warfare? It will always be and has always been. It's not changed. It's all about prayer. As he knelt at Valley Forge, George Washington was keenly aware that unless God intervened and aided his discouraged army, all would be lost. During the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln said that he was often driven to his knees because he has nowhere else to go. You know, we know that it's been said, uh, you can do other things than pray, but you should never do anything until you pray. Prayer brings about the victory. And it's an important lesson for all of us to learn. Prayer is the furnace that, and your heart is the metal. And the more time you spend in prayer, the more God can mold your heart. But we need to be consistent in prayer. Because what happens, or ends up happening, is when you're consistent in prayer and you persevere in prayer, you have victory. And the enemy is defeated. Not in man's strength, but by the power of God through prayer. 
See, last time together, I know it's been a while, in chapter 8, we looked at how Israel lost the battle with Ai. And Joshua didn't understand. God said, God said go, you know, and, and win. What was going on? How come we lost? And Joshua sought the Lord. Listened to the Lord. Found out there was sin in the camp. Dealt with Achan and then sought the Lord again for victory in Ai. And the Lord gave him a plan to ambush Ai, the enemy, and Joshua obeyed the Lord and there was great victory. In fact, listen to or look at verse 18 and 19 of chapter 8. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand towards the city. So those in ambush rose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. So Joshua got the victory, really not because of the ambush. The ambush was really no big deal. Joshua got the victory because he was seeking the Lord. As Joshua stretched forth his javelin and faith, saying, God, I believe you can do this, they experienced victory. Joshua was faithful in prayer. God was then faithful in battle. But many times in our own lives, the lessons we've learned one day, you know, they're soon forgotten the next. And we have to learn the lessons all over again. And that's where we pick it up this evening. Look now at verse 1 of chapter 9. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on the side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and on all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. Now, notice, there's a period at the end of that sentence. They gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord, period. In other words, all the enemies of Israel were joining forces to come out against Joshua and Israel. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like the whole world is against you? Let me tell you, it is. <laughs> it is. And not only the world is against us, but my flesh is against me and the devil is against me. But that's why we have the book of Joshua, to see how to have victory in those battles we all face. Because as I look at these events leading up to chapter 9, I see a parallel between the battles Israel fought in the flesh and the ones we fight in the spirit. We face that battle of the world and the flesh and the devil. Israel did the same thing. The first one was Jericho. Jericho was a type of the world. It was defeated, and we have the promise of victory over the world as we walk with Jesus. 1 John 5, 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Number two was a battle in Ai. That's a type of our flesh. Ai was also defeated, and we have promise of victory as well in the flesh as we battle for the Lord Jesus. Romans 7, 24 and 25, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so then with the mind on myself, through the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Then finally, number three, in which we come to this evening, giving is a type of the devil. This is a battle that still must be fought. However, we've been promised victory in that as well. We gain victory in the same way in all three, through prayer and trusting in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way the devil can be defeated. James 4, 7, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, praise God, we know that the devil is going to get exactly what he deserves in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10. But until that day, we must still contend with him. Unfortunately, the Lord has not left us in the dark about this. And we'll see in a moment how through Israel's experience with the people of Gibeon, we see a portrait of the devil's schemes. We'll see there's a danger becoming friendly with the enemy. So all these nations, in verse 1, are coming against Israel. Look at them again. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, 
the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites, they're all coming against him. Israel has been gaining ground. And guess what? The devil hates that. The devil hates when we gain victory over areas in our lives. He hates it so much that often there will be those that join forces to attack like here. And that's something we need to recognize as Christians. That as you and I get stronger in the Lord, as we step out in ministry for the Lord, the temptation and the battles are going to increase. They're going to get more intense. Why? Because you're now more of a threat to the kingdom of darkness than you were before. And, and unless the man or woman of God spends that time of prayer and study of God's word, you're going to fail. We need God to give us the strength if we're going to make a difference in this ungodly world. Why is that? Because the forces of the world have joined up against you. And you may say, well, I don't experience that much of a battle. I don't see that there are forces against me. Listen, if you're not experiencing some testing and some persecution in your faith, then it's time to look at your Christian faith. If you can comfort, comfortably live in this ungodly world, then there's something wrong with your Christianity. I mean, this is it's biblical. It's hard to live godly in an ungodly world. I mean, the minute that you decide to, to not listen to that co-worker's off-color joke, you know, and, and, and underlying sexual innuendo, you say no, they're going to say, what do you mean you're not listening to this joke? Or, you know, it's not funny for you, Christian? No, it's not funny for me. I don't like that stuff. And you walk away, suddenly you're a marked man. You're a marked woman. They're going to treat you differently because the world is against you, your flesh is against you, and the devil is against you. But if God be for us, who could be against us? Victory's already been won. He that is in you is, 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 is stronger than he that is in the world. So what have you got to fear? You know, even though we're like fish swimming upstream, we recognize that all the tide and all the current is against us, but also recognize that behind us is the power, the power that allows us to move upstream. And this is something that Joshua has to learn. Look what happens next. Look at verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. And one had pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua, to the camp of Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We've come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Stop right there. You don't understand because the context of this is so important. Here the enemy recognizes that they can't beat him. What's the old saying? If you can't beat them, join them, right? So verse 4, they worked craftily and they went and pretended to be ambassadors. Isn't that just the way the enemy works? Craftily, sneakily. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth of love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Paul is talking about, about being tricked into compromise. The story of, the Joshua, of Joshua is the same thing. These guys lived maybe 20 miles away where they set up camp. They weren't from a distant country. This was a big scam. But because Joshua and the armies of Israel and, 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 and God, really, uh, reputation preceded them, they were fearful. So they came up with this plan. They knew the word of God just enough. They, they, they attempted to use it against Israel for their benefit. That's what they're doing here. They remembered back in their minds. Doesn't the Israelite scriptures say somewhere in Deuteronomy chapter 20 
something about making a treaty and a peace treaty with those that, that, that come from a far distant country. Yeah, let's use that against them. In other words, they, they, they probably looked at their game plan and said, okay, what can we find in here that we can use against them? Listen, there are, are ungodly people who know the Word of God well enough to try and use it against us as believers. And again, they may see you at your workplace at that moment of slipping up and, and maybe blowing it and having an outburst of anger and, or maybe talking bad about your boss or you know, gossiping about someone. And oh, I thought you were a Christian. Doesn't your Bible say something about, you know, about having, you know, talking, you know, about people? Or I thought you're a Christian, you know, uh, you know, weren't you, how come you're doing this? And, and are you really supposed to get angry and you kind of get embarrassed? Because they're using the God's word against you. They know just enough of it to make them very dangerous when we don't do or live as we're called to. That's why we need to make sure that when stuff like that happens, they don't have nothing against us to say that our integrity stands. Well, here we see the inhabitants of Gibeon coming together and saying, okay, here's what we'll do. We're going to go ahead and we're going to make ourselves look like we've come from far away and a far country and we'll show them our worn-out shoes and they'll want to make a treaty with us. Look at verse 7. Then the men of Israel said to the, to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, well, Who are you? And where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. So, so Joshua initially, he was a little skeptical. He did question them, just very at the beginning, of where they came from. And, and, and Joshua is to be commended for his caution, but he gave up way too soon. He didn't ask enough questions. You know, I have found when, when you know, I, I share with, with, you know, we get people calling or people come up to you for, for benevolence and they, they want something. Hey, man, can you give me, you know, I just need 20 bucks because I got to get from here to, to, to you know, Oklahoma and I got to see my, my sick uncle in Oklahoma or whatever. And, and you start asking them questions. So where, okay, what's going on? And well, how come you left? And, and, and do, do you go to church in any place? And do you have family? And you find out that the whole story was a lie. And they just want, you know, want to take advantage of us. And here you've got to ask questions. And, and, and you know, so, so Joshua didn't ask enough questions. But, but here comes the flattery. Telling them they heard of their God. Look at verse 9. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, king of Hezbon, and Ah, king of Bashan, and, uh, who was at uh, Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now, look, it's dry and moldy. And these wineskins, which we've filled with, were new, and, and see they are torn in these garments, and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. I mean, they sold it like a used car salesman. Look at this car, man. It is great. Look at it. I know, it's, I know it doesn't look so good, but they're you know, trying to sell a clunker. And, and surely the men of Israel wouldn't buy it. They should have known better. But instead, we read in verse 14, then the men of Israel took some of their provisions but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. You can underline that. You want to scream, stop. Don't do it. Pray. Seek the Lord. 
And it's like watching a movie and seeing the good guys about to get took. You know, you scream at the movie, scream, no, don't do it, don't do it. They did not ask counsel of the Lord. Listen, if the Lord has done anything for his children, he's given us a perfect book, a powerful Holy Spirit, and the power of prayer, access to our Father. These three things give us distinct advantage when it comes to discernment, when it comes to making decisions, when it comes to fighting the devil. Using the Word of God and the interleading of the Holy Spirit, we can do what 1 Peter 5, 8 says. We can be sober. We can be vigilant. Awake and alert to the enemy's devices. You don't have to fall for everything that the devil tells you. He's a liar. He's the father of it, John eight forty four says. We don't have to fall into his traps. Thank God we can walk in victory over the devil if we seek the Lord first. But sadly, again, Joshua or Israel did not ask counsel of the Lord. And as a result, look at verse 15. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregations swore to them. Now, we mentioned already that Satan characterizes himself as a roaring lion. A, a lion, you hear. You hear his roar. It's scary. You respond to it. But Satan is also a sly, sneaky, slimy snake. And we don't always recognize his handiwork many times because he slyly creeps in and he cleverly slithers away. And that's what's happening here in the Word of God. He's disguising himself as a slithering snake and he comes on the scene using the Word of God against the people of God and he builds this treaty with them. And what do the people of God do? I mean, you can see this one delegation standing before the other delegation and, and they say, well, wait a minute. Where'd you guys come from again? Oh, look at this old bread. It's moldy and, and, and you know, yeah, it does look moldy. Oh, look at the wineskin. Yeah, 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 that, well, you know, it does look like it's cracked. Okay, we believe you. We'll make a treaty. I, I mean, no, 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 God, don't talk to me. Talk to me. But instead they're going, oh, we feel pretty good about this treaty. We feel it's the right thing to do. We'll go for it. And God's going, would you just stop for a moment and you find out you're not supposed to be doing this. And Israel's going, you know, we feel pretty good about this deal, so let's just let the rest of Israel know what, what we decided to do. I mean, the same thing happens for us as believers in our lives. We know enough of the Word of God many times. What happens is we begin to step out in what we believe to be faith. But many times, it's, it's presumptions. You presume. Well, I presume this is what God wants from me, and I, I assume that. And, and therefore, in that presumption, and assumption, we say, well, well, I know what the Lord wants already. But God says, no, no, no. I, I want you to do something differently. I, I still want to talk to you. I want you to pray. And we go back. No, 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 Lord, I know. I already know what your will is in this situation. But God says, no, really seek my heart in this issue because you may not know what I have prepared for you. Here's this point illustrated. You don't need to turn there, but in 2 Samuel chapter 5, maybe read it tonight before you go to bed just for fun, but David goes out against the Philistines. He's had, uh, had, had victory. He inquired of the Lord before the battle. The Lord should go out against the Philistines. The next day, however, the Philistine army comes uh, after David again. Now, it would be an automatic assumption that David would go, well, God told me yesterday to go out against the Philistines, so we're just going to go and get victory today and, and fight them and, and do what it said. But the Scripture says that, that David inquired of the Lord. And when he did, God gave him a different plan. Well, it says, yeah, I want you to fight the Philistines, but there's a specific time that I want you to do it. And wait till you hear the rustle of the leaves. And when you hear the leaves rustle, that's the time I want you to pounce on them. Yeah, God is still going to fulfill his purpose in wiping out the Philistines, but he had a specific way, a new instruction for the way in which it was to be done. 
certainly God did allow for the children of Israel to make treaties and make pacts with those people who were from foreign countries. But the problem was God saw the deception and they didn't. But they would have had they sought the Lord afresh the day all this went down. But they didn't. They were living off of past experiences. And this is so important for us because as we experience a great day spiritually, a great victory one day, Maybe Sunday morning. Oh, this is great. Oh, Lord, you moved. That's great. Come Monday morning, you can't live off of what happened on Sunday. It's not going to work. If, if, you, if you spend an hour in prayer on Sunday, come Monday morning, you still need to pray. You still need to seek the Lord. You can't go, oh, you know, I was there Sunday. I prayed up. You know, I heard God's word. I'm, I'm all good. No, be careful. Don't do that. Because this is the theme. This is the principle that we've been drawing from here in chapter 9 and really chapter 7 and 8. God has a will. God has a way. And we have to listen to His voice to know what it is. Here they blew it. They didn't seek the Lord. As a result, look at verse 16. And it happened at the end of three days after they made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Who heard the Israelites. Remember, it was the leaders, the shepherds, who made the decision. But now the sheep are finding out what the leaders did. Let me say this. If the leaders aren't seeking God, then they can easily lead the sheep astray. God expects His people, especially the leaders, to seek His will and wait on an answer. Well, now they're confronted with this mess, and, and, and that is what improper leadership will bring. So this covenant was made. Children find out. Children of Israel find out these guys tricked them. They make it to the city, but they can't attack them because of the covenant. Now look at verses 17 and 18. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shephira, Beroth, and Kirhath, Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them because of the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Oh, man. Oh, no. How could you do this? How you know, you know, complaining. They see what's going on. Now, let me say this. It's not easy being the person in the place of, of making decisions. And I think sometimes people think, well, it must be grand and glorious to be in charge. You know, more than likely, it's a matter of being one that everyone complains about. You're not going to make everyone happy. And certainly they made a mistake and, and the, the congregation, the children of Israel, let them know about it. Look at verse 19. Then all the rulers said to the congreg- all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, now therefore we may not touch them. Because they didn't seek the Lord, they have to face the consequences. See, we cannot become arrogant, so arrogant to think that we can stand against the power of Satan on our own strength. Satan works craftily, uh, subtly. He's, he's able to slither in like a snake in the very small cracks of our lives. Now, you never go and, oh, I'm just going to go take some hard drugs. Or Satan doesn't come along and say, hey, why don't you take this meth? You know, why don't you smoke some meth? No, but he may say, man, you've got some pain in your back. Why don't you take some of this pain medication, this prescription drug? And before you know it, you're hooked on drugs and you're trying to get something else, you know, and pills are addicted before you know you're addicted. Satan, uh, you know, he doesn't come and say, why don't you, you know, get into witchcraft and, and, and sorcery and, and all of that. No, he doesn't do that. He said, why don't you watch this movie? 
about cute little wizards that do things with amazing special effects. And, and before long, you're excited about wizards and willing to read horoscopes and dabble in witchcraft and, and Ouija boards, and you're practicing witchcraft. witchcraft. It all begins with that, that compromise and that deception. So what do you do once that compromise of sin is now in our lives? How do you get rid of it? Well, we, when we find ourselves addicted and bondage, feeling like a person in, prison, in a prison cell and no way out, and there's three simple steps. Number one, admit we've sinned. You can't be free from sin unless you admit that you've blown it. Secondly, confess your sin. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And thirdly, once we've been set free from our sin, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the, the, the lust of the flesh. Our human nature wants to gratify our fleshly desires, but the Holy Spirit allows us to, to, to desire the things of God. And that's the way we want to live, desiring the things of God. Well, the Israelites are confronted with the truth of the Gibeonites. What do they do? Look at verses 20 through 27. Well, this we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the, all the congregation, as the rulers have promised them. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you, when you dwell near us? Now therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land, and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you, and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them, and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, so they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation, and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose, even to this day. The Gibeonite deception is what chapter 9 is all about. A group of people who said, you know, we know that Israel's army is scary. We don't want to see our lives wiped out. So we will attempt to, to, to get in and to some degree to utilize our own words to somehow appease them so that we don't get wiped out. What they did was wrong. And we recognize that. But the Gibeonites were not off scot-free. Although the covenant was honored, the Gibeonites were cursed with slavery, cutting wood and drawing water for the house of God. Now, I have to say this for them. Being a slave in the house of God was certainly much better than the alternative, right? Death, destroy, annihilation. Psalm 84 verse 10 says, For a day in the courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. See, this, this curse actually turned out to be a blessing for them. And the reason being is that God always looks at our hearts. The Gibeonites did proclaim in verse 9 the fear of the Lord. They had said, because of the name of the Lord your God, we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. They confessed. You know, even, you know because of the name of the Lord your God, we've, we've seen what your God has done. His fame is out through all the land, what he did in Egypt. And I believe even in their deception, the Lord saw their hearts. It's fascinating to see what was the end result to the Gibeonites' community and the entire tribe. According to Second Chronicles chapter 3, the first couple of verses, there we see that the place that God chose to set up the tabernacle was in the Gibeonite city. And according to Ezra chapter 2 verse 43, the Gibeonites ended up becoming, through intermarriage, a group of people known as the Nethanimites, 
who became temple servants. I mean, here's the beauty of this. They were cursed, but God has a way when he looks on the condition of the heart of turning a curse around and making it a blessing. I've talked to people that have come to me and have said, Pastor, I've disobeyed God. I've done something wrong. And now I need to get out of this situation. I bound myself to this situation with an oath or a vow. Now, specifically, I'm, I'm talking about marriage. When someone comes to me and says, well, I'm in a bad marriage or I married the wrong guy or the wrong girl and, and I don't know what to do. Listen, take heart that, 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 that in the fact that God can turn a bummer into a blessing if you simply trust in His will and in His way. So, well, Tom, uh, I bought a house and I thought it was the right thing, but now I found that the house, you know, isn't the right thing because as a balloon payment begins to, to fly away into this home, uh, I'm finding myself in great difficulty. Listen, trust in the Lord. God can turn a bummer into a blessing. You don't understand, Tom. I just bought this car and its transmission is bad. What should I do? Trust in the Lord. See, you know, in our own understanding, we say this is too impossible for God. There's nothing that can change the situation. But God's word says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not in your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. Now, does that mean that God wants you to keep your promises even when you made them foolishly? As a general rule, yes. Yes. When it comes to marriage, keep your vows if there's no biblical reason not to. Stay in your marriage. If you're not married yet, be careful what you get into. What about the couple that wasn't following the Lord but got married? Does their marriage count? Absolutely. How about when it comes to debt? I think God wants you to pay what you owe, even if you got into the debt while you were a heathen, while you were not, not a Christian. To your kids, keep your promises or don't promise too quickly as a businessman or a businesswoman. Because you claim the name of Jesus, you should be the most ethical, dependable person that your clients know. After all, we represent the most ethical, dependable person in the, in the universe, Jesus Christ. The giving night said, yeah, we've blown it and we deserve a curse. But God says, I see your heart. I'm going to turn this curse into a blessing because you're going to be the very same people that get to wait hand and foot on the one true God. And it'll be a wonderful blessing for you. You'll enjoy being around the people of God and you'll enjoy being servants of God. And they, they end up being in a privileged position. Why? Because God looks at the condition of our hearts. So what do we do then? We take every bummer situation and we cast it before the feet of Jesus. Lord, I got myself in a jam, but Lord, I recognize you can turn jam into jelly. It can be a good thing. Lord, I got myself in a pickle, but you can add chips and make it great. Chips in a pickle, they're really good. You can turn my situation into something praiseworthy. I've heard it said many times, so of you, well, I'm just between a rock and a hard place. Great. Because as a Christian, that rock is Jesus Christ. That's good. You know, and so God will work things out wonderfully as we turn and seek his direction. We'll find that he's paved a perfect path for us and we'll experience blessings rather than, than bummers. Yes, Joshua made a bad move and took the Gibeonites at their word and didn't pray about it. They didn't pray for guidance, for direction, for discernment, for counsel. But God used it for good. How can we know what to pray about and what not to pray about? The answer is very obvious. Pray about everything. Maintain a constant attitude of prayer. Do as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Because if we become men and women that pray about everything, we'll never fall into the trickery of the Gibeonites. You'll never regret uh, a decision that was, that was not prayed about. No, you'll never regret the decision if you prayed about it first. That's a better way of putting that. So let's pray. 
Father, thank you for tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray, we pray as a church that we would be men and women of prayer. Lord, that we would not seek to go it alone. Lord, that we would seek you and your word and counsel every step of the way. Even when things look, uh, Lord, that they're all lined up and we should just go for it. Lord, help us to stop and take a breath and seek your face. Lord, you may have a different plan. You may have a go-ahead plan that says go for it. Whatever it is, Lord, we don't want to do anything without first seeking you. And so help us, Lord, to make that a priority in our lives. Lord, help us not to be uh, deceived by the trickeries of the enemy. Lord, help us to hide your word in our hearts, Lord, that we would not sin against you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we pray, Lord, for the vows that we have made. Be it a vow in marriage, a, a vow to pay a credit card, Lord, a, a vow uh, in, in whatever situation it is, Lord, help us to remain faithful to that vow and not go back on it. More importantly, Lord, help us to remain faithful in our allegiance to you, Lord God, and our love for you. Help us not to be drawn away by the cares and the concerns of this life, but to stay focused on you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. Lord, we pray that you bless the remainder of our week, Lord, as we seek your face. We pray again for Steve Schetzel. We pray again for Jeff Williams, your healing touch. And on Ray, Lord, we thank you for Ray Glenn as he has been healed of the, the, you know, the, the veins in his neck, Lord, were cleared up and, and he's, he's getting stronger. We thank you for that as well. And for all those that may be suffering illness uh, this evening, Lord, we pray for your hand of, of healing upon them and in their lives, Lord. And so thank you for your grace. Love and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's all.